one week from going home when that enemy ambush If only I'd moved left, if only I'd moved right, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done that, you know, I wouldn't be here in this hospital bed. And something said, stop, you can't change it. You can't change what happened. And it was in that moment I said, I'm gonna drive for I'm, I don't care what happens, I'm going to shape my future. I'm gonna show my kids that despite the horrible things that happened to us, the life ambushes we incur, it is a choice. It is a choice to decide to be better and more positive and drive forward and be relentless. Everything you do is critical upon that one principle when catastrophe comes along in your life. Because for me, that military ambush translated into the next phase, which was a life ambush. Every day you wake up is a gift. The only thing that stops you is you. Every day I wake up is a gift. I only have good days and great days. That's it, because I know I'm still breathing this air. It's up to you to make it a good day or a great day. I'm a riser. I'm a get up off the ground. The chair. Every single one of us at some point in our life will end up in this chair. It's a place of darkness, depression, despair. September 26, 2005, I was operating in the southern province of Afghanistan was sent back for a bad leadership decision. 96 hours later, I found myself in Bagram. I'd just seen my commanding officer, and I was told they were thinking about taking my trident. I remember walking back to my room after that moment, trying to wrap my head around what had happened. How did, how did this occur as I sat in this chair? And the thoughts churning through my mind was your failure failure. Everything you've ever done up to this moment, 12 years of a military career, as an enlisted SEAL and now an officer, had led to this moment. And I thought to myself, there's nothing I can do. It's all out of my control. And then I had that thought that so many of us have, have when we're sitting in this chair, it's not fair. And as I contemplated all of this, as I sat there, I thought to myself, it is the end. If they take my trident, my life is over. 
because I had so singularly tied myself to this emblem and convinced myself that anything that made me worth anything in this life was tied to that emblem. Sitting next to me was my combat cross. Most of you know what this is. I know many in law enforcement come from a military background. If you don't, oftentimes you will see them. It is a wooden cross that we hang our gear on, helmet, boots. My weapon was up on the wall behind me. I had radios, I had grenades, I had other things I needed to go on missions. And hanging from the cross was my pistol belt. And I pulled out my SIG P226 9mm pistol, a weapon that I'd probably put at least 50,000 rounds through at this point. And I press checked it, made sure there was a round in the chamber. And I put that gun in my mouth and I started to pull the trigger. Everyone in this room has sat in this chair. That rock bottom moment when we think it is the end. When we think there is no place else we can go. Whether it's the end of a career, a failure point, the end of a relationship, the end of our health, an injury. We've all sat in this chair and we've all had those negative thoughts. I'm a failure. I'm broken. There's nothing I can do. It's all outside my control. It's not fair. The problem with this negative thought pattern, and I was going through the same thing, it is the thought pattern of a victim. Victims focus on the negative. Victims look for someone else to blame. Everything's external and they don't take time to look at what's internal. I was doing the same thing. As I sat in this chair, I blamed my teammates. I blamed external factors. Everything was external. Everyone else had placed me in this chair at this moment as I had a gun in my mouth getting ready to blow my brains out. And as I started to pull that trigger, I looked across the desk and saw a picture of my wife and kids. And I thought to myself, what are you doing? What are you doing? Is this how you want to be remembered? Is this the example you want to set for your children? Oh yeah, your dad, he was that, he was that failure, that dude, they took his trident, the victim who shot himself in Afghanistan. I told myself no. You see, victors drive forward. Victors stand up in the face of adversity, no matter how great the odds or the challenges are in front of us. And I realized in that moment that is what I needed to do. I needed to get up and be a victor 
and not a victim. So often in this life, every one of you in this room are going to encounter a the end moment and find yourself sitting in this chair. And I am fucking tired of watching friends and law enforcement and fire and military convince themselves that it is the end and end their lives. And I was almost one of them. Here's the amazing thing about the end. So often, it becomes a new beginning if you're willing to get up, if you're willing not to fucking sit there and focus on the negative. If you're willing to start to do the hard work to figure out, how did I get here? And that's exactly what I did. First thing I did, I came to realize that I needed help. I went and sought out the special operations chaplain. And this is one of the most amazing things that occurs to me that blows my mind in the military, in police, in fire. All of us depend on somebody to be successful in our job. All of us have a partner. All of us in the fire service, they would never go into a building by themselves. And in the military, especially in special operations, we don't do one-man room clearances. We always have another man. From day one of BUDS, you're taught to have a swim buddy. In ranger school, I had a ranger buddy. Yet when we're struggling and we're facing the end moments and we're trying to figure out the way for a new beginning, we think we have to do it alone. I went and talked to that chaplain. And he said, yeah, it sounds like you've made some mistakes. But maybe you need to take a step back, look within, figure out that path forward. That's exactly what I did. When I met with my CO again, he decided not to take my trident, which was a huge relief. But I also faced a whole new uphill battle. So I will tell you that my teammates, obviously in the military, law enforcement, fire, any career where your partners and teammates' lives depend on decision-making you may do, especially if you're a leader, we do not tolerate mistakes well. We do not tolerate failure well. And those guys did not want me back. So I had to come to grips with who I was and the mistakes I made. And this comes down to awareness. Most specifically, self-awareness. I meet a lot of individuals who are leaders. I meet a lot of individuals who are part of teams. They have no clue. They ignore everything negative about themselves, and they just focus on the positive. But if you are not aware of your negative attributes, then you can never manage them. You can never control them. You can never grow from them. And this was one of my biggest issues that I had had as I was running forward as a young leader. And I had to come to grips with the fact that I was a bad leader. I was running down the path of, hey, do as I say, not as I do. 
I see this a lot in all professions. Individuals who reach a certain point of their career, you know, they paid their dues. You know, I'm now a, I'm now a sergeant or a lieutenant or a captain, or I'm now on the SWAT team, or I'm this, or I'm that. And I say, well, I don't need to do those things anymore. You know, new guys do those things. And I've bought into that mindset. We have to lead. And I was not doing that. So I started to build this up back up as I was driving forward, trying to figure out how do I reinvent myself because my teammates now saw me as a bad leader. As I was going down that path, I started to get sucked back into the chair. And this happens so often. Because you see, when we stumble and we fall and we have an injury or we have a failure point, we start to convince ourselves of this. It's too late. It's too late. I can't fix this. I can't fix this relationship. I can't fix this mistake. I can't fix what I've done. And sometimes there's truth to that. But it doesn't mean it's the end. It just means it becomes that new beginning. For me, as I thought about that, I thought about it's too late. You know, I wanted to get sucked back into this chair. I wanted to sit back down. I didn't want to have to face this massive uphill battle of earning back the credibility and respect of my teammates that I knew was going to take years. Part of my punishment was I went to U.S. Army Ranger School. And at Ranger School, I remember talking to one of our senior leaders and I told him, I don't think I can do this. I don't think the guys will ever follow me again. That chair was trying to pull me back in. And he said to me, Red, listen to me. He said, people will follow you if you give them a reason to. That's it. That's all leadership is. He said, I don't care how bad you've messed up. Human beings will follow success. And if you were setting the example and you were successful and you were running a successful team or troop or assault team, whatever it is, guys will want to be on it. He said, so, so go crush Ranger School and come back to the SEAL teams and give the guys a reason to follow you. That advice became the foundational principle of everything that I teach. Everything that I drove forward from that point forward was built on that. But it came down to one singular thing in this life as a leader, as an individual, as a parent, as a team member, whatever you want in this life, it all comes down to one thing, action. I can't tell you how many people I meet who talk about, well, I screwed up, or I did this, or I want to make more money, or I want to be a better dad, I want to be a better father, I want to be a better mother, I want to be a better friend, I want to be a better son, daughter, I want to be a better police officer, I want to be a better SWAT team member, I want to be a better sniper. 
And then they don't do any of the things they need to do to be better. They talk about it, but it lacks the critical thing that we need in this life. Last year, I'd been coaching some people, and I felt like it was Groundhog Day. Because they kept telling me, well, I want this, and I want that. And I would say, well, this is what you need to do. And they wouldn't do it. And, and we would just have the same conversation over and over and over again. And one day in my frustration, I said, listen, it's about action, motherfucker. And I realized how simple that is. You want to be successful in this life? You want to be a better police officer? You want to be better, period? Who doesn't want to be better? No one. But it's about action to do it. And as I went through Ranger School and I started to rebuild myself, I started to realize there were a lot of changes in action I needed to take. This became the foundation of the three rules of leadership that I teach and how I rebuilt myself as a young leader to come back and finish out a successful career in the SEAL teams. So often when I come into companies or teams or I'm coaching someone, people will come up to me and they'll say, hey, Jay, hey, man, can I talk to you? And, you know, they want to pull me aside. I'll be like, yeah, man. And they'll say, hey, I, just, I could use some advice. You know, I'm, I've, I've got this team and uh, there's a lot of conflict and I can't keep people motivated and there's a lot of anger and angst and issues and problems. Can you give me advice on how I can, you know, get my team better? And I'm like, yeah, man, absolutely. I just have one question for you. Sure, 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 yeah, absolutely. How well do you lead yourself? And if they answer to me, no, 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 you misunderstood. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about my team. My team's messed up. Therein lies the problem. 75% of leadership is how you lead yourself. This was the biggest failure point I had had. I watched so many people who wear a title, lieutenant, sergeant, captain, assistant chief, chief, whatever it is, and they suck at leading themselves. They're good at just telling people what to do. If you can't effectively lead yourself, you will never effectively lead other people. They will follow you because they have to, not because they want to. And you will never build successful, strong, amazing teams of relentless culture if you can't master this singular principle right here. And that became my focus in Ranger School. How do I lead myself? How do I show up with positivity? How do I just drive forward? Every day I just focused on, okay, what do we have to do today? When it's my turn to lead, I'm going to step up and lead. And when it's my turn to follow, I'm going to follow and just try and support the guys around me. And it started to build this positive reputation. Leading yourself is about creating structure and discipline in your life. It is about setting goals and going after those goals, vocalizing those goals and accomplishing those goals. Because if you do those things, you will be successful. You are taking action to drive forward in this life. If you are 
successfully leading yourself. Like probably one of the best leaders I ever worked for, Vince Peterson said, people will follow you if you give them a reason to. It just naturally happens. Which leads us to rule number two, our ability to lead others. So often in this life, and I had made this mistake also, we make the mistake of thinking that leading others is about this round hole in the bottom of your face. 75% of leadership is rule number one. They've already decided to follow you because of your reputation. I had to rebuild mine because I had broken it. I had broken that trust and credibility. But if you are effectively leading yourself, if you are crushing it in all aspects of your life, people naturally want to follow you. I want to be on that guy or gal's team. So much more of leading others is how do we provide them the right resources, motivation, guidance, training. These are the things that effectively enable us to lead others. And then, oh, by the way, accountability. How do we hold them accountable? Give them the right and left limits and then hold them accountable if those things aren't happening. And it doesn't mean that you know, we go straight to punishment. Instead, how are we creative as leaders to understand, you know, okay, did I give them everything they need to know to be successful? If not, maybe I need to approach this from another angle. Leading others is all about building trust and relationships with the members of our team. One of the problems I had before I got myself in trouble is I micromanaged people. How many of you have ever worked for a micromanager? Hold your hands up high. How many of you are micromanagers? You know, there's never one in a room whenever we play this game. Everybody's worked for one, but no one is one. Curious. Yeah, I was a micromanager. And thankfully, one day, my new boss, who was a great leader and mentor, pulled me aside and said, Red, bro, look around this room. The troop that I got put into after I got in trouble was probably the best troop I'd ever been in in my entire career. Rock stars in the teams. And he said, these guys, they're some of the best out there. That guy, our lead sniper, he was one of the head instructors at sniper school before he came to our troop. That guy, our breacher, he created some of the modern breaching tactics we're now using to do X, Y, and Z. You know, That guy, our JTAC, Man, he's dropped more bombs in the entire Air Force. Like, these guys are good. He said, tell them what they need to do, and then trust them to go out and do it. Leading others is built on trust. They believe in trusting you. You've got to allow them to go out and execute, too. And then number three, we've got to lead always. And this is the big one. This is the point that I had failed the most at. Because if you are a leader, and understand this, when I talk about leadership, it doesn't only apply to you being a law enforcement officer. I talk about leadership in all aspects of your life. How many of you are parents? How many of you are sons or daughters? If you don't raise your hand, you're about as fucked up as it gets. Our relationships are part of our leadership. Believe that or not. 
Your ability to lead always has an impact on your kids, has an impact on your siblings, has an impact on your spouse, your friends. Yet I meet so many people who are one way as a leader in their, home, in their work life, and then they're a train wreck and a dictator at home. That's not good leadership, because make no mistake, you are a leader at all times, whether you're on duty or off duty. And this is where I was failing as a young leader. This is where I really got myself in trouble, because when I was on duty, hey, follow me. You know, I'm a, I'm a SEAL officer. Look at my rank and my bling and my title and all this BS. And when I was off duty, I was like, nah, man, don't talk to me. I want to be Tommy Lee. You younger people don't know who that is, but he was a drummer for Motley Crue. He was a big partier. He was, anyways, you should go watch the uh, Netflix special about Motley Crue. You're welcome. Yeah, you can't pick and choose when you're going to lead. It's in the hardest times that it's going to make the biggest difference. When you are beat down, when you are tired, when you are hurt, when things are not going right, when everything in you makes you want to go sit in that chair, that is the most critical point in time that you have to step up and lead. And that is what lead always means. It is in the darkest storms that as, as humans, there is a natural tendency for us to start turning inward. And we start to buy into all those negative things that I talked about at the beginning. There's no hope, there's nothing I can do, it's all outside of my control, it's not fair. And those are absolutely the bells that should be going off in your head. I gotta step up and lead. This is where we push through that wall and we bring out that positivity in the face of negativity. So I started implementing these things into my life. The second thing I realized as I was rebuilding myself as a young leader is I was totally out of balance. In this life, you hear a lot of people talk about balance. I will tell you this, in, in the careers that we have chosen, military career, I call it the protector community. It's hard to find balance. We truly get tied to our job. We get sucked into it oftentimes, you know. So balance is not this perfect thing. It's not like, hey, you know, X amount of time is allocated to every different bucket of my life. But what it is, once again, goes back to awareness that there are different buckets in our lives that we need to apply time and effort into. And I had not done that leading up to the failure point as a young leader. So I started thinking about, well, what are the key areas that I need to put time and effort into? I ended up coming up with five key areas. I call this the Pentagon of Peak Performance. These five key areas are physical leadership, mental leadership, emotional leadership, social leadership, and spiritual leadership. If you put time and effort into these areas, it will enable you to be better balanced in your life as a leader. I know there's a lot of us in this community, the protector community, that do martial arts. And if you think about the Pentagon as, as a base, if you will, we'll use a table as an example. So a one-legged table can't stand. It's just going to fall over. Two-legged table, 
doesn't stand very well. Obviously, we walk around on two legs. Uh, but our stance and how we, we move is a critical thing. Three legs, that's kind of the minimum that we can have for a table, but it's easy to knock that over. Four legs on a table becomes the most efficient. But you still, any kind of strength, you can flip over a four-legged table. Five-legged table is planted. Anytime you try and flip it over, you're pushing against that external fifth leg. And if you have a five-legged table with strong legs and a heavy top, it's very difficult to flip it over. In this life, when these storms are coming along, when the adversity coming along, if you put time and effort into these areas, you will better be able to withstand the problems, the adversity, the catastrophic events that are coming. And this is what I began to focus on. So number one was my physical leadership. I was, in, I was always in pretty good shape, but I kind of let that decline a little bit as I became an officer. And I was kind of busy trying to run all these different things. I wasn't leading myself at the level that I should. And here's the thing. You need to understand that it doesn't, I meet some people that think to themselves, well, I got to be great at everything physically. You know, I got to be the best runner and I got to be the strongest. And that's impossible. It's never going to happen. There's always going to be somebody stronger, faster, better than you. In leadership, it's not about being the best. It's about being the best for you. And the people around you on your team are going to recognize that. They're going to say, man, you know, John or Jill, they always give 100%, no matter what. They may not come in first in anything. Maybe it's running. Maybe you absolutely suck at running. But they know when you're out there running, you're giving it your all. You are achieving the 100% you have the ability to achieve. And this is what's critical in physical leadership. This is what creates our balance. So number one comes down to fitness. I believe that it is a critical component of our lives for so many different reasons. It is the foundational level of the Pentagon and Peak Performance. Why? Because this machine we run around in is amazing. It enables us to do incredible things. When we're young, those of you that have kids will appreciate this, kids come out of the womb, they're Ferraris. They zip and zoom all over the place. You know, my son, I was convinced, he was fueled, like the secret to nuclear fusion laid inside that kid. Like, because he only had two speeds, 1,000 miles an hour and asleep. That was it. The problem is, as we get older, we stop taking care of our Ferraris. And this is troubling to me, especially in career paths, the protector career path, law enforcement, fire, military, where your life and the lives of the people next to you could potentially depend on your fitness. Yet I watch people in this career path who don't take care of themselves start to degrade. They aren't putting that time and effort into their fitness and making sure that this machine, this Ferrari, continues to run. Hey, it may not be a 2022 Ferrari. I mean, mine, it's like a 1960 GTO, you know, like the Magnum PI type. But I still put the time and effort into it. Because if you don't, one, it impacts your credibility as a leader. This 
world we're living in where we want to say, hey, we don't want to talk about any physical attributes is BS. We all know you walk up to someone who's in great shape, it attracts attention. Why? Because you know that individual took action. That individual is investing in themselves. That individual is putting the work in. And immediately, right off the bat, you place them on, in your mind, this individual is putting the work in. If they are a leader, you already know they are leading themselves at the most basic level. Am I right? All of us know this. But I watch so many people who are leaders who will, you know, not take care of themselves. And one day, they walk into the garage, and they go, honey, what happened to my Ferrari? This is busted up Hugo in the garage. Well, yeah, because you ain't taking care of it anymore. Got to put that time and effort in. When we take care of ourselves physically, it absolutely makes a difference. Number two is nutrition. The military, the police force, and the fire department runs on alcohol. And I bought into that hook, line, and sinker as a young SEAL, and even as a young officer. I didn't think too much about nutrition. I gotta say, we're light years ahead now. We have, uh, we have human performance programs, we have nutritionists that help guys, that educates them. I didn't know any of that, I didn't pay attention to any of that. I was hard, but dumb. Look at what you put into your body. It's going to absolutely make a difference. If you're running a Ferrari, a Ferrari needs good fuel, clean fuel. You want to be at your optimal best as both a leader and in a career where your life may depend on your fitness and your ability to maneuver and do things in worst case scenarios. Sleep. I meet a lot of people who like I don't know why, because I'm a SEAL. I, they want to brag to me about how little sleep they get. We need sleep. Sleep is when your body is rebuilding. Sleep is when your muscles are rebuilding. The more we are learning, modern technology is teaching us how impactful sleep is. I meet individuals who pride themselves on, yeah, I only get by on four hours of sleep. Well, unless you are a genetic super freak, the average human needs between six and eight hours of sleep to fully go through all the, the different cycles of sleep. I make sure to try and take care of myself, especially as we get older, to make sure that my Ferrari is continuing to run. Because my Ferrari is, you know, it's, it's been wrecked. You know, I got, I got put up into the wall at about 200 miles an hour. You know, I mean, it may, it may look sleek and sexy to you, but I've, uh, my frame is bent. I've had to have about six different changes of tires. There's a lot of Bondo on my chassis. I've had multiple paint jobs. So I know that I need, to, I need to do all these things to be the best version of myself so I can be the best leader. And then the last thing is optimization. And this is something that I learned about later as I educated myself and I got further along. We live in an amazing day and age where technology is enabling us to understand so much about us. So many of us put so much time and effort into understanding tactics and weapons and equipment and all these things, but we don't take the time to take care of the most important piece of equipment you have, 
this Ferrari that you're running around in. And in this day and age, we have the ability to optimize it. We have the ability to be proactive. I meet so many people who don't ever want to go to the doctor, and I'll ask them why, and they'll say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to know the bad news if there's something wrong. That's idiotic. We need to face things up front, and we have the ability to do that now. There's so much technology out there, whether it's uh, some of these um, wearable technologies. I wear a whoop that tells me everything that's going on with my body. I routinely get my blood work done. I work with a company, Core Technology, that every three months, they check my blood work to make sure I'm optimized. My blood work was in the toilet several years ago. Any ever heard of the term operator syndrome? It's a term for individuals who live their lives at a high stress point, and at some point it burns out our, uh, our, our, our hormone levels. My body, if I'm not on testosterone, produces about 100. That's it. Average male should have between 300 and 900. So thankfully, these are the things that I do to optimize myself so I can be the best version of the leader I want to be so that you can deal with the problems, the stress. You have the energy levels. And oh, by the way, if you do all these things, the last part of physical leadership, it very well may save your life. When I was wounded, I needed eight blood transfusions. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Eight blood transfusions. Doctors told me it was a miracle I survived. But they told me one of the biggest things that enabled my survival was my fitness level. My body was able to withstand the massive amount of shock that it endured because of fitness. This is why physical leadership is so important, why you need to be able to do it, why you should make a difference. Better energy, you're going to be more, uh, you're going to be able to think better, you're going to be able to process better, you're going to be more positive, everything about you, and this is what it takes to be an effective leader. So number one, that physical leadership. Number two, mental leadership. Man, when I got commissioned, I thought I was God's gift to leadership. I, I thought I was patent reincarnated when I came back to the SEAL teams. I walked with two very dangerous individuals, ego and arrogance. Dangerous allies when you are a leader. And it led to my downfall. So after I got in trouble, and I started to focus on mental leadership, I started to think about, man, I should probably be challenging my beliefs. Many times you are steadfast and you think, I firmly believe in this, challenge it. Educate yourself, buy books, watch videos, learn about it. Make sure that you are still 1,000% committed in your beliefs. Mental leadership is all about that. I started getting every leadership book I could find. I became a voracious student of leadership. And so often now people will say to me, you know, oh, we want to bring you in. We want to hire you because you're a leadership expert. I am no leadership expert. I am a student of leadership, and that's it. I've seen good leaders. I've seen bad leaders. I was a bad leader at one point. Mental leadership is constantly challenging our beliefs, constantly educating ourselves, recognizing that the world is always changing and we need to constantly stay on top of that. Seeking out mentors, doing things to get out of our comfort zone. This is all part of our mental leadership. 
Number three, emotional leadership. How do you manage your emotions? When I was younger, I was all over the place. When I was super happy, I was super happy. And when I was angry and pissed off, everybody knew it. And this is not a good way to be as a leader. We've all had those leaders who are like hand grenades when you work for them. In the Pentagon of Peak Performance, there's always individual, all of us have strong points and weak points. For some of you, maybe physical leadership's your strongest point. And maybe for others of you, something else is your weakest. For me, emotional leadership was my weakest point. Man, people could push my buttons and I would blow up. I would, I would shoot the messenger on a regular occasion. I micromanaged the hell out of people. It took a while to truly learn and understand. And it all came to a fruition one night. I looked back on a moment. My boss in my troop prior was Eric Christensen. Some of you may recognize that name. He was the, uh, he was the head of our troop for Operation Red Wings and was killed when the helicopter was shot down. But Eric was my boss and we were doing, we were doing shipboarding operations off the coast of Virginia. It was winter, super cold, big sea state, probably 10 foot rolling seas. And we were boarding the ship, iterations over and over again. And uh, at one point, one of our guys was climbing the ladder. He got tired and he fell off the ladder from the top, fell, landed on top of the, the uh, engine cover of the boat that we were on. In the darkness, it looked like he landed on his head. He was unconscious, we thought he broke his neck. We, we, since he couldn't talk, we couldn't assume it was in the dark. We fell back behind the ship, super dark night, uh, no moon, and we packaged him on the backboard to get him ready. Uh, the helicopters working with us slid back, they were hovering, they dropped a winch. We rigged it and, uh, and got him ready to hoist. Right about that moment, the helicopter pilot lost, uh, lost his position in the darkness and he started sliding back. And when he did that, the, the litter with our teammate popped up against the handrail in the back of the boat and got stuck there. He was pinned against his handrail as the helicopter was slowly sliding back. And you could hear the tension on that line start to stretch. And we thought it was gonna snap. And uh, at the last minute, it popped. He, the, the litter popped up over that bar and slingshotted him about 50 yards out into the, to the uh, water. And then he sank head down. And I'm screaming into the radio, pull up, pull up, pull up. You know, you've got him in the water, he's, you know, he's underwater, pull up. One of our other guys jumped in, uh, managed to get him up. We managed to hoist him up. He ended up being okay, he didn't break his neck, he broke his pelvis, you know, about a year of recovery and he went on and had a successful career. After that though, Eric pulled me aside. And he said, hey man, did a good job managing everything, but my only question to you is when, when things went wrong, he said, why were you yelling into the radio? I was like, Eric, man, it was an emergency situation. I mean, holy smokes, you know, he's underwater. I was worried about him drowning. He's like, I get that. He's like, but you got to maintain that calm in the chaos. He said, because if you get all excited, people are going to get excited with you. And then they may do the exact opposite of what you want them to do. He said, so take a breath 
maintain that emotional leadership, maintain that calm in the chaos. Emotional leadership is finding that positivity in the face of negativity. It is managing your emotions. It is riding that even, even keel because that's what good leaders do. And that's what will create balance. This picture was taken in Iraq. Uh, it was taken on June 21st after we got into a huge firefight. Um, we had multiple guys uh, that got hit by grenades. They were dropping down on us. A very complicated situation. And at one point, one of the guys came around and snapped a picture. And I just kind of, I took a breath and just smiled. Everything in my mind was racing, crazy, trying to deal with this insane situation. But emotional leadership won out in that scenario. It is intentional. You have to think about it to make a difference. Number four, social leadership. How do we invest time into the rings of people around us? When things start to go wrong, it is critical that we make sure that we have put time and effort into the people around us. We, uh, we have to invest into our teams. And oftentimes, we put so much time and effort into our professional teams, especially in the protector community, because we know that our lives depend on it. We become focused on that. But I want to talk to you about this. It's just normal for us to always focus on our work relationships when we think about our teams and investing in them. Our, our teammates, our partners, you know, our assault teams, whatever it is. And these are the four different levels of teams that exist in this life. So you have your work relationships. The next one becomes your acquaintances and friends. This is still work related because obviously in any work environment, you have the people you work with, but then you have your friends that you work with. These are the people you hang out with after work, you go to lunch with, you talk about problems, you talk about the boss, you talk about these issues. Within there becomes our close friends. And this is more of the people you hang out with at home, maybe the people you grew up with. Oftentimes we build relationships with our neighbors like this. And these are the people that you can let your hair down a little bit. You know? And then the last one, the bullseye, that's our family. That's your spouse, that's your kids, that's your mom, dad, brothers, and sisters. Problem in this life is many of us put a whole lot of time and effort into those outermost rings, like I did, and we take for granted the innermost rings. Oh, they'll be there for me. They know I'm busy. I've got an important job. They'll understand. Here's the problem with that line of thinking. In this life, we all ride along on trains. I rode the Navy SEAL train. You guys are riding the law enforcement train. We all have an idea of when we're going to get off that train. For some of us, it's, you know, all the way to the end of the line. Someday I'm going to be a chief. Someday I'm going to run the SWAT team. Someday I'm going to do this or do that. For some of us, it's, hey, I'm going to do another 10 years, and then I'm going to go do something else. For me, after I got my career back on track, I honestly thought that someday I'd be a commanding officer. I even had pipe dream aspirations of, could I ever make it to Admiral? That's what I thought. Problem is, life doesn't always work that way. Things go wrong. And when things go wrong, you get thrown off the train. And that train keeps going. 
And the people who are on that train that you put the majority of your time and effort into, they fade away. And oftentimes, I meet people that are really angry about this. They're like, man, you know, the people I hung out with, I got injured or I got hurt or something happened. I never hear from these people. And they're angry about it. I'm like, well, you guys, I mean, it was a work relationship and it was a work acquaintance. They're still riding on the train. You're no longer on that train. But when you get thrown off that train, you know who gets off with you? Those innermost rings. And if you didn't put the time and effort into them, I've watched more relationships break under the pressure when you needed them the most. I was fortunate enough to rebuild those inner rings after I got myself in trouble because I had no clue the life ambush that was coming for me several years down the road. So invest in these things and you will be ready for problems. Take that time, and it doesn't take a lot of effort, guys. It really doesn't. It's not this perfect time allocation. It's not like, oh, I have to dedicate 25 minutes or, you know, 25% of my life to my family. It should just be, I am taking that time. It will make a difference in the long run, I can assure you. And I'll tell you this, from a guy who lay there bleeding out and dying, in those final moments, I didn't think about how much I wished I had studied more tactics and think about, man, I wish I had shot more, all these things. All I thought about in those final moments when I was bleeding out was, man, I wish I had a few more minutes to tell my family I love them. Put that time and effort in now. It will make a difference in your social leadership. And the last one is spiritual leadership. For some, it's faith. For others, they don't believe in that. So I, when I talk about spiritual leader, I talk about having perspective. As humans, we have a tendency to think that whatever problems we're going through are the worst problems ever. And it's amazing to me how negative individuals who have seen such trauma and horrors across the world have poor perspective. Law enforcement, fire, military, the amount of trauma and, and hardship that we've seen. Yet I think spiritual leadership is our ability to take a step back and look at that, whether that's through faith, whether that's through meditation, whether that's through breathing exercises, but it's our ability to take a step back from the situation and go, you know what, man, I'm still here, and I can make a difference in the people around me. So often, spiritual leadership, if you have weak spiritual leadership, you focus on yourself. Me, 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 me. That was my problem. It was all about me. I changed that dialogue. One of the final things that I did, one, I got my faith back on track, and I reversed my priority level. Number one, it became about the mission. And this still applies in this life. I'm no longer in the military, but I have a new mission. That new mission is to help people be better, help you be better leaders, better parents, better police officers. That's part of my mission. Number two, the men or the people around you, your family, your team, your tribe. That becomes second. And the last one becomes yourself. This is good spiritual leadership, and it will make a difference in your life. So guys, over the next two and a half years, slowly but surely, I built myself back up. I remember the first time after I gradu graduated Ranger School, and I came into the platoon space, it reminded me something out of the movie Forrest Gump. You know, when Forrest gets on the bus, everybody stopped talking when I walked up to the table. You know, they like pushed the chair away, and they were like, seats taken. Roger that. And I focused on these things that I had built. 
I focused on my three rules of leadership. I focused on the Pentagon of Peak Performance. And slowly over time, I gave guys a reason to follow me. And guys started to warm up to me. Hey, Red, good job on that mission, man. That was good. Hey, Red, you want to come over and play poker with us? Guys started to warm up. There were still some guys who never warmed up to me to this day. They probably still hate my guts. I don't care. There's always going to be haters in this life. If you follow this formula, you lead yourself, you lead others, you lead always, you're balanced, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be negative people in your life. You can either choose to let it impact you, or you can choose to drive forward and make an impact. And that's what I chose to do. And by two and a half years later, in this new troop, we were slotted to head to Iraq. Fallujah, 2007. Super pivotal time in Iraq. Um, any of you that know during that time, 06, 07 was just a, the Iraq war had become just a quagmire, man. Uh, it was basically a, a just a, a mess, a civil war. Sunni, Shia, the Iranian influence, insurgent groups all over the place, both in Baghdad running out of Sadr City, and we were operating out of uh, the entire Anbar province, launching out of Fallujah. But as we headed on that deployment, I, I, I was like, man, I did it. Like, I earned my way back. Like, the leadership trusted me to take a group of guys to Iraq and to be an assault force commander and a mobility force commander to lead amazing pipe hitters into battle in a very pivotal time. And it ended up being one of the most amazing deployments I've ever done in my life. We operated almost every night. Our troop conducted over 80 direct action missions, kinetic operations to go after mid-level and high-level insurgent leaders. I was like, man, I did it. I did the impossible. I rebuilt my career and got back on track. Virtually every night during that deployment looked something like this. September 13, 2007, we were literally one week from sending our first wave of guys home. Uh, this amazing appointment that I talked to you about, got myself back on track. I was slotted for my next leadership position. I had requested and been approved to screen for our next tier SEAL team, which requires not only the approval of your commanding officer, but a thumbs up from your teammates. So life was good. And on that night, we went after a senior leader for uh, the Al-Qaeda organization. He was the head of Al-Qaeda for the Anbar province. And my team and I walked into a very well-executed ambush. We estimate in that ambush line, it was two PKM machine guns, probably 15 AK-47 shooters. My medic was initially hit, took a round right under the knee, uh, severed both bones, anchored him into the ground out front. Uh, one of our other guys ran forward to grab him. The only point of cover we had behind us was one tree. 
which DJ fell behind. And then uh, my other teammates, there was a large like John Deere tractor tire off to the side of that behind me. Guys fell back to that. Uh, Maddie grabbed a hold of our, our medic, dragged him back, was shot three times, two in the leg, one in the arm. Maddie was a big beast of a guy and still managed to get himself and, uh, and our medic back to that tire. I was out front at this point. I was trying to lay down fire. I was yelling out commands when both machine guns got turned on me. I was stitched across the body armor. I took two rounds in the left elbow, which I thought shot my arm off in that moment. I took rounds off my helmet. I had my left night vision tube shot off. I took rounds off my weapon. I took rounds off my right side plate. Realizing this was a really bad place to be, I turned to try and move back to that tire when I caught a round in the face. It hit me right in front of the ear, traveled through my nose, exited the right side of my nose, took off my nose, blew out my right cheekbone, was left of my cheekbone, broke and kicked out to the right. It vaporized my orbital floor, uh, broke all the bones above my eye. My eye dropped in this newfound hole in my face. It broke the head of my jaw. It shattered my jaw to my chin and knocked me out. I owe my life to my teammates an AC-130 gunship up overhead. 96 hours later, I found myself lying in a hospital bed in Bethesda, Maryland, with doctors inundating me with negative information. Lieutenant Redman, you've been all shot up. You have no use of your uh, left arm. Your elbow is totally destroyed. You have massive nerve damage. Uh, we're thinking about amputating your arm. Your face is totally mangled. You are wired shut. You are traked. Uh, we are feeding you through a stomach tube. And I remember at one point like asking the doctors like, hey, okay. I couldn't talk. All I could do was write. I said, how long is it going to take to put me back together? Actually, I think I wrote, how many months is it going to take to put me back together? And I remember the doctor was like incredulous and she was like, months. We're talking years. I remember her leaving and thinking to myself as I sat in that bed, it is the end. Like, I just spent two and a half years building myself back up. And now I'm laying in this hospital bed looking like a monster. I didn't want my wife to see me. I was afraid for my kids to see me. I remember thinking, there's no hope. I remember thinking, there's nothing I can do. It's all outside of my control. And then the big one, the victim mindset, wanted to creep back in, sitting in this chair. It's not fair! It's not fair! I did everything right. Welcome to life. I survived a vicious enemy ambush only to step into what I call a life ambush. Every one of us will get hit by the bullets and bombs of life. It will come for all of us. And when we feel these moments, it places us into a very specific place in time. I call that place in time the X. Many of you in the military, special operations, law enforcement, we talk about this point. It is the point of attack. It is the point of the ambush. It is the point of the incident. It is the point of the catastrophic event. 
so many of us find ourselves on this X in this life. And when we do, we have that tendency to get that victim mindset and start thinking all those negative thought patterns, start feeling sorry for ourselves. I watch people do this, and typically one of three things happen when we're on the X. Number one, we look at the past. Well, I want back the world before this happened. I want back my life before I got all shot up. Or we look to the future and we say, man, this should be, I, should, I should be going through advanced training right now. I should be doing my next tier job. I should be, or the big one, the very human thing. We focus on the pain and the misery and then we look for someone else to blame. It's your fault. You put me on the X. My spouse's fault. You didn't support me enough. My partner's fault because, you know, you didn't see that bad guy over there who shot me. None of that matters. None of it. You have to have a mindset to overcome. As I sat in that hospital bed, I realized that. Like, hey, stop being a victim. Be a victor. Victors get up. Victors overcome. And here's the interesting thing about an overcome mindset. The bad things that happen to you set you up for success. That journey that I went through as a failed leader and having to grind through and build myself back up set me up for tremendous success from those battlefield injuries. So often I meet people that all they do is complain about the bad things that happen in their lives. And I say, listen, man, yes, it sucks, but you are getting better. An overcome mindset is not built during good times. It is built when things are going train wreck, catastrophic, wrong, but it's in those times that you are flexing your overcome muscles. As I lay in that bed, I thought to myself, hey man, you've been through worse. You just climbed out of the deepest, darkest hole you've ever been in, from sitting in a chair in Afghanistan with a gun in your mouth, to rebuilding your professional officer reputation. This is no different. You follow the rules of leadership. You're going to lead yourself. You're going to lead others. You're going to lead always. Let's go. So how do we build an overcome mindset? Well, number one is awareness. Bad things happen to good people. God dang, if, if working in this profession as a protector, we all have to appreciate this. But it can happen to you, too. You can be shot. You could get a horrific illness. Sexual trauma could happen to you or someone you love. Lawsuits, personal, professional failure, all these things can come along. Awareness of recognizing that you are not immune. I often think about these things. And people say, God, Jay, you're really dark. Like you've thought about losing your wife? Yes. Why? Because if I'm aware, I can prepare. Now, I don't dwell on it. If you dwell on it, you're just pinning yourself to the X. But instead, I am prepared. I know what my contingency plans are being, but at least I'm moderately prepared and ready should the worst happen. And number three, my big one, it is about action. When those things happen, you cannot sit on the X forever. You have to get up and move and drive forward. As I lay in that hospital bed struggling with where I was at, I had some people that came into the room. 
we talked for a few minutes and then they kind of stepped off to their side, maybe a nurse came in or something, and they were talking to themselves. And I overheard their conversation. And they were saying, what a shame, what a pity. We send these young men and women off to war and they come home broken and battered and they're never gonna be the same. They're never gonna be successful. They're never gonna achieve the American dream. What a waste. And they left. It's amazing in this life how people will place you into the victim box because something bad happened to you. They will like give you an excuse to lay there and sit on the X and feel sorry for yourself. Don't ever buy into that. Get up, drive forward, shape that new beginning. The greatest gift you have in this life is you have a choice. No one forces you to lay there and feel sorry for yourself. No one. Everyone has free will. I don't care what happens to you, you have a choice. You have it within you to get up and overcome. And when my wife came back into the room, I said, never again. Never again is someone to come in here and feel sorry for me. And never again will I allow myself to feel sorry for myself. I will set the example. I will, this is a lead always moment. I will set the example for my kids, my wife, and every one of these wounded warriors in this hospital room around me. And I wrote out this sign. And it said, attention to all who enter here. If you're coming to this room with sadness or sorrow, go elsewhere. The wounds I received, I got in a job that I love, doing it for people that I love, defending the freedom of a country that I deeply love. I will make a full recovery. What is full? That's the absolute utmost physically my body has the ability to recover. And I'm gonna push that about 20% further through sheer mental tenacity. This room you're about to enter is a room of fun, optimism, and intense rapid regrowth. If you are not prepared for that, go elsewhere. And we signed it, the management. I have no clue why. I still laugh at it to this day. I'm like to my wife, what? Just, hey honey, do you think it needs more credibility? I placed this sign on my door and I told my wife, no one is allowed into the room unless they read this sign. All those negative thought patterns, there's no hope, there's nothing I can do, that's a victim mindset. We think there's no hope. There is always hope. Hope is not some, hope is not some magic elixir you go buy in the store, that you go back to your boss or your teammates or your kids and you say, hey, sorry guys, fresh out of hope, I guess we're screwed. Hope is driven from within. It is a belief that we can make a change from the situation we're in. It doesn't mean that you're going to fix what's bro broken or get back what's lost. What it means is you are going to find the path of that new beginning. When you think there's nothing you can do, there's always something you can do. And when you think that everything's out of your control, we control what we can. As I lay in that bed, all I thought about is I have to get off the X. It is the foundational principle of special operations that enabled us to get out of multiple gunfights. It is the foundational principle that enabled me to survive that gunfight. My teammates enabled us to get off the X, the Air Force AC-130. But every one of us in this life are going to find ourselves on that X. Everyone in this life is going to encounter life ambushes. 
As a matter of fact, a room this big right now, there's probably at least 10% of this room that's in a life ambush right now. You are going through a relationship breakup, a divorce, lawsuit, personal or professional failure, life-threatening illness or injury to you or someone you love, sexual trauma to you or someone you love. Maybe you recently lost someone in one of the biggest life ambushes I've seen is the loss of a child. Formula is the same though. You have a choice and you get off the X. And one of the biggest things I've come to learn is whoever gets off the X the fastest, having a mindset to overcome and drive forward, those individuals thrive. Time is relative. If you lose a child, you're not gonna get off the X tomorrow or next week or even a month. You're gonna have to take some time to grieve. You've got to heal yourself. But you should always be looking further down the road on how do I drive forward. I've lost so many teammates. I've attended over 50 funerals for teammates and friends. And in my mind, it, it has given me tremendous perspective and enabled me to always think about how I have to drive forward and get off the X for them. How I have to honor them by being positive, by being a light in the darkness, by being a leader, by continuing to live the things, because all of them would give anything to still be here. Every one of them. That's my skull. It was drawn by an artist friend of mine. And uh, the, the, I will say he took some creative liberty because the bullet hole in the forehead was actually in my helmet. I uh, managed somehow not to penetrate my skull, channeled. Uh, but all the damage on the face was taken directly off the CAT scan. They have a 3D model of my skull, and uh, he drew it directly off that 3D acrylic model. Doctors tell me it's a miracle I survived. But that gives me tremendous perspective to continue to drive forward and overcome and lead myself and get off that X. Most people in this life have a perspective problem. They focus on the negative, they focus on, in my opinion, all the wrong things. I meet people all the time who will use this phrase to me, hey man, I had a bad day. We all use it, it's a very human thing. I don't use it anymore, but I used to use it, and people will say to me, I had a bad day. I'm fascinated with this because the vast majority of the time when people say I had a bad day, you merely had a schedule disruption. Your day did not unfold in the manner you thought it was going to. The reality is, if you are still alive, if you woke up this morning, it is a good day. You know why? Because whatever problem you're facing, whatever adversity, whatever colossal thing, you still have air in your lungs and thoughts in your brain to be able to attack it, to figure out a way forward. And you may not have the solution today, you may not have it tomorrow, you may not have it several weeks from now, you may not have it several months from now, but if you are still alive, you can still go after. That is an overcome mindset. That is leading yourself. That is leading always. And that is good perspective. So I encourage all of you to erase that term from your vocabulary. Don't use that. I have bad day. You had a tough day. You might have had a hard day. Happens. But if you woke up this morning, it is a good day.
It's up to all of us to make it a great day. So I now live my life. There are no bad days. If I woke up today, it's a good day. I will leave you with this. All of us in this job are driven by a mission to serve and protect. I was part of a group that the foundational mission of the SEAL teams was to be the premier maritime special operations force in the world. That mission gave me purpose. Everyone in this life needs purpose, but that purpose and your mission must go beyond that badge or emblem you wear, lest you end yourself in that chair when something happens and you lose it. This is why I encourage people that leadership goes beyond. You're more than a police officer. You're a mother and father, teammate, friend, son, daughter. And your mission and your purpose should be tied to those things also. But here's the thing. If you've never taken the time to write it down, it's merely this vague, nebulous thing, and it is not guiding you. That sign on the door became my new mission statement. And it was written so that I could see it on a regular basis. And I will tell you, there were times when I sat in that chair struggling. I remember about a year after I'd gotten home, I was having major infection problems. Uh, I was in a wheelchair because they had removed the bone from my leg to rebuild my face, so I was, I was non-weight bearing. I still had metal hardware coming out of my arm. I still had the trach. And I had had the, uh, they had cut out what was left of my nose because the first two had totally failed. And any time I went out in public, I had to wear this piece of gauze over my face. I looked like Skeletor. And nobody wants to look like Skeletor. Why do you think he's so angry all the time? He's got a big hole in his face. Sucked. I remember waking up one morning, man, crying my eyes out. This sucks. And my daughter came in, four years old. I remember looking across the room, and the sign was there. I was like, dude, you got to get up. That's you. We all need reminders, all of us, myself included. Cody, Kyle, I don't care who it is. Rob, everyone needs reminders of who they are, what your mission is and your purpose in this life is, and these are the things that help us. It must be written so they can drive you in the hard times. Your mission and purpose becomes that light in the darkness. If you've never done it before, I highly encourage you to do it. Here are my key takeaways. It's never too late. I don't care how bad you've messed up. You may not be able to totally repair a mistake or a relationship, but you definitely can repair yourself. You can be the best version of yourself and drive forward. Follow the three rules. First and foremost, if you get off track in your life, look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, how effectively am I leading myself? If you got that dialed in, it will naturally set itself up for leading others, and then focus on that leading always. Readiness and balance. Follow the principles of the Pentagon. It ain't perfect. It's just awareness that, hey, I'm going to put time and effort into these areas. Every day is a gift, man. No bad days. And that mission equals purpose. If you have never written yours down, I really encourage you 
to write down, make your own, sign on the door. If you do these things, I guarantee you, you will be able to get off the X and overcome anything. If you want to learn more, if you want to learn how to write your own sign on the door, if you take a picture, it'll enable you to, uh, to, to sign up for our mailing list. I know we all get a ton of email, but I tell you what, I put out one newsletter a week and it is about how to be a better leader. It is about positivity. Many of you follow me know I don't talk politics. I just talk leadership and positivity. But it'll give you this uh, sign up. It'll give you this uh, sign on the door handout that talks about the sign on the door, but more importantly, how you write your own sign on the door so that you can have your mission and purpose in this life. And then I also teach a, uh, we just released our new Point Man for Life course. Pretty much everything that I talked about goes deep into depth. It's a 15 module course. If you, anything I said resonated with you, like, man, I want to be better. I want to be a better leader. I need to be better balanced. I need to have better purpose. And you're wondering where you go with that, you should check out this course. This link, normally I sell that course for $1,000. For law enforcement, I, I reduced it down to $250 for you guys. So you can check that out. If you want to talk to me more, I can talk to you more about that after the fact. I will be over here signing books when I'm done. I am going to open it up for a few questions. But I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you guys. I often say that while I was overseas, one of the great things about our country, right now we've got some challenges, but when I was actively deploying, it made me secure to know that if anything happened to my wife and kids, we at least had a good secure, uh, system in place with our law enforcement and our fire and EMTs. What you guys do is getting out there. Oftentimes people will say to me, man, what you saw was so much more than what we saw. No, man, I've been working with fire and police for many years now. I was fortunate enough in my career, I can't speak for every military member, but uh, there was only one incident in my entire career where we killed somebody we didn't intend to kill. And actually, we didn't kill him. Uh, Al-Qaeda killed him. Other than that, everybody we killed, I'm glad they're fucking dead. I don't lose a bit of sleep. You guys, on the other hand, see people on their worst days, when they are on the X. And that carries a lot of trauma. That baggage piles up over time. So just I encourage you to do these things, understand who you are, understand your purpose, understand your mission, build and overcome mindset, because it will make a difference. All those things will pile up over time. And if you let them fester inside you, they become like a cancer. So I just want to say thank you for what you guys do, and I appreciate you. Thank you, guys.